everyone, you're listening to Peculiar Stories and Far Out Tales. I'm Anna Howington. And I'm Kim Yellen, and I am going to jump right in. The subject that I'm doing today, I've thought about it for a long time, and I kind of put it off just because it's a bit more maybe serious than we've done before. It's a bit kind of loaded. Okay. And I did get feedback from, from someone that um, they just wanted to hear kind of like happy stories. And this is not one of them. So if that's what you're looking for, maybe skip ahead. (laughs) Um, So I'm doing uh, the Tuskegee syphilis study. You heard about it before? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. This is wow. This is heavy. Yeah. Right. Um, But it's a really important story. So for those of you that don't know, it's a study that was carried out by the U.S. government. It was carried out by the U.S. Public Health Service and uh, the CDC. Um, between 1932 and 1972, so for 40 years, oh my gosh, it involved 399 uh, black men from uh, this really impoverished city. They were sharecroppers in this this county called Macon County, Alabama, and it was to study the effects of syphilis, of untreated syphilis, on um, on black people, essentially, a black on black men. So the study was originally supposed to be like it was kind of set up as their thinking was that there was already a study that was done on white people in Norway. Okay. And so there was a thought at the time that it affected African Americans differently than it would have affected white people. Like the thought in 1932 was that it affected uh, black people's kind of cardiovascular systems a little bit more and then it affected white people's more and more kind of neuro like brain things. So the thought was to test that. The problem was that they didn't tell any of these people. They didn't tell them that they had syphilis. They didn't tell them that there were treatments for it. They didn't tell them um, kind of what the effects were. They, they They didn't inform anybody. They just kind of like found out these people had syphilis and then like let it go. So... And this is kind of one of the reasons why there is so much distrust regarding the CDC and regarding government interventions. I don't know the story in full, but I think that this is a really timely thing for you to cover. And I'm all for learning about this today. I think it's, I think, like you said, it's a really important story. Right. So, I mean, it definitely really eroded the public trust. It kind of just started a bunch of rumors um, not good yeah. all around. Wow. So um, to start at the very beginning, um, the man that was kind of thought to be the like founder of it was this man named Trefuro Clark. And he was the head of uh, the U.S. Public Health Service. Um, his initial goal was to see the effects of untreated syphilis for six months, for six months to a year, and then <laughs> treat it like that was that was the thought when it was originally started. Still real shitty. <laughs> still still shitty, but I mean, that was the original goal. However, um, fairly early on, the funding that they thought they had for it did not come through. And instead of being like, hey, we don't have enough money to treat all of these people. Let's just not do this. They just decided to like carry on with it and keep going with it. Tafuro Clark did leave pretty early on. So, like, he left before even the, like, six months had expired. So, like, he was in charge when it first got started, but he definitely wasn't the one that, like, extended it. Did he leave for moral reasons or did he just, like, get another job or just, like, move away or die or something? No, I mean, just as he resigned, like, I I don't think that it was connected. And it's not like this. He wasn't he was in charge of the whole U.S. health service. So, like. It wasn't just the study, 
Like it's oh, not like I he see. was the head of the study. He was okay. the, in charge of the whole service. So I, it doesn't suggest anything that it might have been connected to this. Okay. I wouldn't think so. But I, I mean, that's just going off kind of that it was 1932 and yeah. that he kind of thought this was a great idea. Yeah. 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 So he resigned before anything kind of got going. And he, like I said, when he resigned, it was still thought that it was going to be a six month to a year study. And then the man that took his position was a man named Thomas Pyron Jr. And he was the one that that didn't care that they didn't have the funding and that really just wanted to study the untreated effects. It says the natural history of syphilis in African-Americans if it's untreated. Um, and then he he was the one that that said that this Macon County in Alabama would be ideal because it had this really high impoverished black population. There were also several African-Americans that were involved. So there was the president of uh, the Tuskegee Institute, which the Tuskegee Institute became Tuskegee University, if anybody knows. I feel like I just know it from football, but I don't. <laughs> there, there is a big university, a big um, uh, historically black university that's uh, Tuskegee University now. But at the time, it was Tuskegee Institute. So the president, he knew about it. And then um, there was uh, this nurse named Eunice Rivers who she was uh, the big contact person between the people that were conducting the study and the African-American community. So she was kind of, um, yeah, like she was their connection. Like she was the one that was like building their trust. She was the one that was telling them that these like very invasive surgeries or very invasive um, what was described as treatment plans but wasn't treatment plans were... um, were necessary she was the one that would like get them to come to the hospital like I don't know how to feel about her really but anyway she was she was there and so once the study kind of started going like I said it was supposed to only be six months at the time the people that uh, were chosen for the study participants were told that they would receive physical examinations they would receive free rides to to and from the hospital Um, They receive a hot meal on examination day and then they would receive treatments. So they tested all of these people and the participants were only told that they had bad blood, like, quote, bad blood, which was kind of a like a phrase that they used in the South that kind of like encompassed a lot of things. Like it says that it could be it could have been syphilis. It could have been anemia. It could have been fatigue. Like it was kind of just a generic term that uh, people in the South at the time. So they bribed these impoverished people with free food and free treatment and basically told them we're here to help you when really they were just completely being dishonest. Right. Yes. Yeah. They, they weren't telling people that they, they weren't, they definitely weren't telling them they had syphilis. Um, they were only kind of telling them that they had this bad blood and they weren't telling them that they weren't treating them. There was even, um, part of the, um, the analysis or part of the information that the study wanted was spinal taps. They wanted everybody to have spinal taps. Oh my gosh. Do you know how painful a spinal tap is? I have, I know I don't, but I can, I mean, I can imagine that it's not fun at all. That is horrible. Yeah. And so, because like I said, because the, the kind of initial thought was that the effects of syphilis on the white population was more in your brain. And then the effects on the black population was more in your heart and, and that type of thing. So they needed these spinal taps to prove the syphilis had affected their brains. Yeah, I know that um, 
because I have MS and, and one of the ways that they test for multiple sclerosis is that they can do a spinal tap because it gives you information on what's happening in the neurological system. That's yeah. crazy that they would do that and not tell anybody. But they they disguised it as treatment. They told the people that were having it because it's I mean, it's it's a very invasive, very painful treatment. And then think about it now and then think about it compared to 1932. Oh, like, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So in order to get these people to come to them, this again, this Eunice Rivers told them that it was treatment, that they were getting treatment for their bad blood, that it was free, their last chance. They said that the participants received a letter that said that it was their last chance for free special treatment. Oh, my God. And it, was, it wasn't treatment. It was just a spinal tap. And so, yeah, so then the, the study kind of continued. This was not, I want to make this really clear, this was not a, like, secret study that was, like, happening behind closed doors. The first publication of the data was in 1934. The first major publication was in 1936. Like, this was not a, like, secret. Like, it was published in, in medical uh, journals, but it was not, it, it wasn't something that they were just doing and not telling anybody. Um, they just weren't telling the people that were involved. Wow. And I guess unless you're reading medical journals. Even, I mean, there there was a part, Sh- Jay Shadler from uh, Primetime Live in 1992, he was interviewing one of the people that was involved in the study. And the person, quote, said, the fact that they were Ill- illiterate was helpful, too, because they couldn't read the newspapers. And if they were not, as things moved on, they might have been reading the newspapers and seeing what was going on. So, like... <sighs> I mean, it was really calculated why they chose this community. And even though it was getting published, it didn't matter because they knew that these people would not. First of all, I mean, who has access to medical journals? But even yeah. if it was in just kind of regular papers, they wouldn't have been able to read it and they wouldn't have been able to access this information. And that was purposefully done. Or even looking for it because they thought that they were just, you know, getting help from this clinic or something. Right. From this bad blood. They, they thought they had bad blood and the government was providing free treatment for it. So um, in World War II, when World War II started, 250 of the men were registered for the draft. And in order to get registered for the draft, you have to take a physical. And so they took a physical. The military, obviously not being in on this terrible trick that we're playing on everybody, told them you have syphilis and that they need to go home and get treated. And then somebody stepped in, like somebody from the public health service stepped in and did his best to like prevent them from getting treatment. So now. (gasps) Oh, my God. I feel like this is a point where like they were informed from another source. And now you're like actively trying to make sure that they're not getting treatment. So (sighs) there was a representative that was quoted, a representative from the public health service that was quoted to say, so far, we are keeping the known positive patients from getting treatment. Wow. Yeah. So it's like more and more steps towards not just like misinforming these people or not informing these people, but like actively trying to make sure that they have this really deadly disease. It's so fucked up. Yeah. So then in 1947, penicillin came along and penicillin became the standard treatment for syphilis. Okay. The U.S. government sponsored what they were calling rapid treatment centers to try to get rid of the disease. And they, the U.S. government particularly focused in the South. I mean, the goal was to get rid of syphilis in the United States. Mm-hmm. And even then, the researchers stepped in again and prevented in, in Macon County, they prevented the participants from getting any treatment for this. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. So then the study kind of continued Um, Again, all of the information was published in journals. It was not secret. So people knew about it. So there was this doctor 
1965, this Wait, Chicago hold on. Doc- so this first got published in 1936. Right. Its first major publication was in 1936. And it took until 1960s for a doctor to, to try to step in? Yeah. 30 years later? I mean, there it seems like there were kind of little things here and there. Like, people were trying to kind of get in touch with people. Um, but there was, yeah, there was no real hard effort to, wow. for people so to So for step 30 in. years, they were doing this study. People knew about this study. And nobody thought to go to that community and tell those people? I wonder how, like... I mean, I didn't read any of the journals. I just wonder how the information was presented in the journals. Like, if it was, we're just studying the effects of syphilis. Like, if it was oh. kind of known. I, I don't know. I mean, there, this guy had to know. So this guy's name, uh, this doctor in Chicago, was named Erwin Schatz, wrote a letter and said that it was a brazen, unethical practice. And apparently this letter was received by the people that were involved with the study and it was just ignored and it was filed away with like a sticky note on it that said, do not reply. Wow. Then in 1966, this man named Peter Buxton, who is considered kind of the whistleblower in this um, in this study, he first he tried to go to the people that were um, doing the study and he wasn't really getting anywhere. So then he decided to go to the press. And so um, he finally went to the press in the early 70s. Holy crap. I always tell people, like, when you're complaining about something, like, you need to go to the people that can affect change. Like, don't just, like, talk to your mom about it. Like, talk to somebody that can affect change. And I just can't imagine, like, going to the people that can change this and being like, this is wrong. Like, you can't. And them not doing anything. And then your only recourse is, like, going to the press. Uh, Yeah. So uh, the story first broke in the Washington Star on July 25th, 1972. And then the next day, there was a front page story in the New York Times. Ted Kennedy stepped in, always the Kennedys, um, and got a congressional hearing. There was huge national outcry. And then there was a advisory panel that was put together by the CDC, by the people that were doing it. (laughs) which is great, right? Like the people that are doing the bad thing should be investigating the bad thing, right? That's how this world works. That's, yeah. So they, which, I mean, to their credit, they did, they did look into the experiment. Uh, Yeah, 40 fucking years later. Right. My God. Yes. Wow. And the panel determined that the study was medically unjustified and ordered its termination. So the study was finally ended in November of 1972. Wow. Yeah. So there's a couple other things, too, like that I just want to point out that like the Nuremberg trials were in the middle of this. And like I I, it's not the best stuff to talk about, like Nazi doctors, but the Nazis were doing like medical experiments, too. And part of the Nuremberg Code, um, they were you're not supposed to experiment on humans. And so, like, I don't know, I feel like we were like doing these trials and we decided that it was bad because the Nazis did it. But then they kept doing it for, like you said, like 30 years. That's so fucked up. Well, it's that same thing with like the MK Ultra, Yes. You yeah. know, stuff and like yeah. the way that they experimented on those soldiers and didn't right. tell them. I mean, this is way worse because this went on for 40 right. years. But yeah, the U.S. government does have a history of experimenting on people without letting them know. I mean, granted, they're in smaller groups, and I am in no way, shape, or form making the connection to the coronavirus vaccine right now. So don't put that on me. (laughs) Like, please take the vaccine. I think that they're not doing that with that. But I can understand where the distrust comes from, because this is crazy. I mean, the government has done this. Like, yeah, like you said, I'm not not trying to talk Mm -hmm. people out of the vaccine. But 
I can see kind of where those seeds of doubt come from and where those conspiracy yeah. theories come from. Well, and also I think it's important to understand that and understand that like people's reservations for a lot of people come from a very real fear. Right. And to, you know, and to make sure that or just hope that there's, you know, leaders in power in the next year that will do what they need to do to to make people understand that this is safe and that this is important for society. And um, I can also understand how the current administration would be less trustworthy. Right. Yeah. But I do I do really appreciate some members of the current administration are kind of stepping in and, and publicly getting the vaccine, which I feel I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, why do they think that helps? And I was like, I think it helps a lot to like put people in power on the TV yeah. Getting this vaccine. Yeah, and like, but I mean, and I don't know, we can edit this out if you want me to, but fuck Mike Pence. No, I, like, I know. Like, I know. I'm sorry. You're going to you're going to get the vaccine before frontline doctors like screw you, dude. Like the same people that were like, oh, it's going to disappear. Like, no, that, that's not they shouldn't get it first. I mean, I understand that for the people that believe in those people and right. support them. I, I get that it's important to see it, but also like fuck Mike Pence. No, I, I, I agree. But I, I also think that it's important. And I guess that there's there's kind of that like bad people can do good, too. And I feel like we shouldn't yeah. overshadow the good, you know, this one good moment that this homophobe had. Like, let's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but, I, I feel you. I feel yeah. you. So but anyway, um, and I've so, got a lot of anger right now. <laughs> I can sorry. understand. It's the weather because you're all like inside and. Yeah. Is it the weather or is it fascism? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Could be either. I ask myself that every day. Is it the weather or fascism? <laughs> what is what is the problem here? What is it that's bothering me? Yeah. Um, so so moving forward. So in 1974, uh, Congress passed the National Research Act. And then within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, they formed the Office of Human Research Protection which oversaw clinical trials, now studies are required to have informed consent, which would seem like kind of a no-brainer, but I can't whatever. believe it took until that long. 1974. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they had to have informed consent. They, have to had, they had to have communication of the diagnosis. They had to have accurate reporting of test results, non-biased oversight, so not somebody that's just involved with the study going, I'm sure this is fine. I, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, what is that expression? Closing the gate when the cows get out already or whatever. Yeah, that, yeah. But, but I mean, at least it's it's something, right? Yeah. And then in 1994, there was a big meeting where they, um, uh, it was called Doing Bad in the Name of Good, the Tuskegee Syphilis Study and Its Legacy. And from that uh, symposium, they came up with some goals. The first was for President Clinton at the time. Uh, should publicly apologize. And then the second was that um, the committee and relevant agencies should develop strategies to regress the damages. So um, in 1997, <sighs> Bill Clinton did apologize, did publicly apologize. He held uh, a ceremony at the White House with the surviving Tuskegee study participants, which I do want to say at the time there was only eight surviving oh my gosh and five of them attended the ceremony and then the other three sent representations so he said quote what was done cannot be undone but we can end the silence we can stop turning our heads away we can look at you in the eye and finally say on behalf of the american people what the united states government did was shameful and i am sorry i am sorry that your federal government orchestrated a study clearly racist yeah end quote 
Wow. So, which I felt like was a good, I mean, like I said, it's, it's one of the, I mean, it's literally 1997. So it's, it's kind of hard to. Too little, too late. Yeah. But I do appreciate that Bill Clinton was like, no, this was racist. Yeah. It shouldn't have been done. And so there was a class action lawsuit that was filed by the NAACP um, and the government paid $10 million, which worked out to $51.8 million in 2019 money. They also provided free medical treatment for the surviving participants and surviving family members that were infected. So at the end of the study in 1972, only 74 of the test subjects were still alive of the original 399 men. 28 had died of syphilis. 100 had died of related complications. 40 of their wives had been infected and 19 of their children were born with congenital syphilis. So, I mean, the study might be done, but there's, I mean, there's obviously lasting effects. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like th- these people's children. Right. Yeah. They let these people's children be born with this and not tell the children. Like, what the? F- oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That is horrible. Yeah. This is definitely something that you can take a really deep dive into that we just like don't have time to. There's like multi uh, episode podcasts about it. So please check those out. Wow. Um, there's a study that said that black people are four times more likely to know about this. And it's something that we should know about. So make sure that you mm-hmm. know about it. Make sure that you kind of look into it. Make sure you're informed. Yeah. So that's the Tuskegee syphilis study that was started in 1932 and did not end until 1972. Wow. Yeah. You know, I also wonder, like, were there other studies like this that we just don't even know about? Right. I'm sh- I'm you know? sure. I feel like that's that's where all this like hesitation for the government comes from is that like this only got out because this one guy was like, well, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to go to the press like this one really brave person. Yeah. I mean, decades later, and I can't right. believe it took that long for somebody to see what was going on. I mean, unless it was all kept under wraps. I don't know. I mean, he read about it in a, oh. in a the guy that eventually whistle blew. I want to say his name. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter Duxton. He read about it in medical journals. Like it was not it. Like I said, it was not a secret. And then it, it the in the study that was done in Norway, too, like it was a what is that called? Like a regressive study. Like it was studying untreated syphilis, too. But it was like people would come to them and say they had syphilis and then they would talk to them. Like they would ask them questions about like the past. Like how long have you mm-hmm. had it? Like what? Like it was like looking back into their past. Like it wasn't continuing to let them have this really deadly disease. For which there was a cure. Right. That, yes. Yes. There was wow. there was a cure. I mean, not even, I guess, a little more than 10 years later. And there were treatments before that too. It just says that mm-hmm. they were kind of, uh, like they could be toxic too. Just like, I mean, I just feel like most medications from a certain mm-hmm. point, it was like, uh. Yeah. But yeah, there was, there was a very good treatment for it. Wow. Um, Yeah, 1947 was when penicillin became, like, readily available. And then there was a government push to, like, provide it for people. And they just didn't. Like, they just, they said, oh, provide it for all of the people except for these people that we're studying that happened to be. And why do they even need to continue to study it at that point in time if they can cure it? It's like, what was the point of continuing that study? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like it's, like, sadistic. It's like, what would be the value of having that? information. Yeah. And you know who did sadistic medical treatments? The Nazis. Exactly. And then there were there were trials against the Nazis again in the what the late 40s. Wow. Were you not drawing the connection between that? Yeah. But 
And they even said, like, the study was done in a way that wasn't even, I feel like it's very similar to the um, study that you did, that, like, it wasn't even medically viable. Like, it wasn't even, like, kind of how they did it and how they collected data and how they kind of let people... um, receive any kind of treatment, like even the treatment that was not really effective, like people still had that treatment and it wasn't really documented. So like the study wasn't even viable, like not that that makes everything okay, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's just very upsetting. And like I said, it's, it's a very interesting, long um, thing to look into. I encourage everybody to look into it. Like, don't be one of those people that like doesn't question your government and doesn't, look mm-hmm. into things and ask and yeah because questioning our government is only going to make our government better right you know yes no you're you're totally like the only way that things are going to get better is if people like continue to look into things and mm-hmm. i feel like that's been i keep trying to like not be really political but like whatever but i feel like that's kind of been the problem in the past four years is that people kind of go with like whatever this administration does is right and it's like well no that's oh it's that's a cult not, it, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's it a is. cult. I mean, you can't even it's almost like you can't even blame the followers because no. they've been completely brainwashed. It's like he is their deity. Yeah, that's just what it is. You and know? I want I just want to make sure that like that doesn't continue that like we don't go, OK, well, we got yeah, we we changed from one old white man to another old white man. Like, can we like mm-hmm. we need to make sure that we're not doing those same mistakes that yeah. like, we realize what politicians are. I don't care what party or what color tie they wear or what the fuck ever. Politicians don't care about you. Like you need to make sure that you're you're fighting yeah. for your rights and that you're fighting for your community's rights and that mm-hmm. maybe just because something doesn't directly affect you that it's still wrong. Like this still needs to happen. Like I I just I I get a bit nervous that like we're just kind of going to go, "Okay, well, we can go back to not paying attention." And I don't think that that's true. Like Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I yeah. agree. All politicians are seedy. They're all, you know. Yeah. Well, also just people are human, you know. Like, you're not going to get somebody that's perfect by any means. However, I do think that in the case of the last four years, we very clearly saw a sociopath get Mm -hmm. in power. And that's different than even just, like, someone who's, you know, at times working in their own self-interest, you know, which all humans do. That's... That's just part of being human. Nobody's perfect. I do think, however, we very clearly saw what a malignant, narcissistic, sociopathic administration can look like. And it's very dangerous. Right. It's very dangerous. And it's it's part of that charm. And it's like that idea, you know, one of the things that and I actually talk about it a little bit in my next story, but like with Hitler and all the propaganda and how he was able to give these rousing speeches and fire everybody up. And it's like when you get this like person in power that is like I mean essentially we had a reality TV star he's an entertainer at mm-hmm. the end of the day and people fell for it I don't know we could we could talk about this for hours but right, I see your right. point I don't think that we should trust anybody on face value no right um, and yeah. I feel like a story like this proves that I mean this was 1932 like and through how many administrations what's that happening right, too you know right that there's always the need to make sure that you're that you're providing checks and balances and that you're keeping your eye on the government and you're knowing what's going on because absolutely if if there aren't rules and there aren't regulations then I mean it's just going to descend into chaos and so Mm -hmm. I feel like stories like this just prove the need for for people for like regular people 
to make sure that they keep their government accountable and that they're not and doing... regulations at mm-hmm. the same time. It's like yeah. when you talk to like libertarians and they're like, yeah. <laughs> just let's get rid of all regulations. And it's like, dude, have you met people? <laughs> like, <Right>. no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, there are some people that have very bad intentions and that will do whatever they can. They'll destroy the planet. They'll destroy other people's lives. Like mm-hmm. there absolutely have to be regulations in place yeah. for, I, for things like this. You know, I saw this meme that was like the libertarians mascot. And it was like a 12 year old who works 12 hours in the coal mine and smokes <laughs> cigarettes. And like all yeah. it was really funny. Like, cause yeah. it, yes, yes. Like I feel like that's one of those like hard to swallow pills is that there are people out there that are going to do the wrong thing regardless, that there's no yeah. way there's no way that we can all go back to like opening all of our doors and just trusting people that there are. I think that it's a small population, but there are there are people that are always going to do the wrong thing. Yeah. And we always need to like put steps in place to make sure that that doesn't happen totally. or that those people don't get in power or those totally. people don't don't kind of set set a tone. And so, yeah. yeah, making sure that people aren't putting science ahead of people. And absolutely. You know, and look, yeah. uh, you know what? I'm okay with you covering a little bit of a heavier topic today because this is our last recording of 2020. Woo-hoo! It'll probably come out in 2021, but still, like this is like this has been this has been a rough time and we've all like had to deal with very difficult changes in our lives and mm-hmm. and it's been a direct correlation between the way our leaders and our governments all across the world have handled this crisis and i think that it's okay i think it's mm-hmm. okay to cover something a little heavier yeah so to yeah. the naysayers out there <laughs> open your eyes <laughs> yeah let's get 2020 out with a bang for yeah. sure and yeah. I, the lights anyway. on the horizon like there is there is hope like in yeah, a lot of things absolutely. yeah so and I'll do a lot of editing to this, too, so maybe I don't sound so angry <laughs> no, and bitter. It's okay. Burn it all to the ground. Just start over. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was really interesting. And yeah. thank you for sharing that. I I did not know the whole story, and I feel like I know a lot more about it now, and it really puts things in perspective. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that's what it is. Like, I hope it's kind of just like a sampling. Like, look yeah. into it more. Look into yeah. other things more. Yeah. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Looking for your next great audiobook? Try Audible for free for 30 days. With thousands of titles to choose from, Audible has something for everyone. I recently listened to Intimations by Zadie Smith on Audible and loved it. The writing is beautiful and the author's narration was fantastic. Visit audibletrial.com slash peculiar to start your free trial today. Okay, so my story today, I don't know if it's that much lighter. It is a little <laughs> bit more uh, whimsical, okay. if you will. Okay. I mean, it does involve global catastrophes and, um, yeah, that. But uh, <laughs> it, it's not quite as, um, as dark. Okay. I'm going to tell you... The story of the famed astrological prophet Nostradamus. Ooh. Do you know about Nostradamus? I feel like the stuff I know about him is like lies. Like, I feel like I've heard, you know, Nostradamus predicted, you know, what, 9 11 <laughs> yeah. or like, like all these different things. And then they like put something on the screen that's like some poem that he supposedly said. And like, I feel like it's all just like bullshit. Like, the things that I know yeah. about him is just like wrong. So, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really well, excited to learn like the real it, story. It might all be bullshit. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But it is fun to think about. Uh, right. Yeah, but you're, you're right. Uh, and I'll get into some of his predictions and how people attribute it to different events in history. But let's start with the man. So this dude is from the 1500s. And like you said, he's been credited with predicting many pivotal events in history from 9-11 to the French Revolution to the rise of Adolf Hitler to uh, even coronavirus. Ooh. Some people are saying some of his poems predicted coronavirus. I didn't, so we'll, I didn't know we'll that. So we'll get on to all of that. He published many of his prophecies in a book, which you can still purchase today, and it's aptly named The Prophecies. Mm -hmm. um, and it even includes a doomsday prediction that the world will end in 3797. Oh, damn it. I've got something to do that day. That's <laughs> too bad. You better reschedule. Yeah. Sorry. Get it done earlier. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> reschedule my tennis. Yeah. <laughs> match. I was about to say date. My tennis. Sorry. My tennis match. <laughs> I guess you could go. You play tennis on a date. Yeah, that'd be a great date. Oh my. Not maybe not like a first date though. Listen, boys. Yeah. <laughs> you like to play tennis? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a first date though. I feel like you oh, shouldn't why? sweat that because you shouldn't sweat on your first date. Like, oh I really? Like, I feel like you can sweat on your first date because you know. Maybe you're not going going home with a guy on the first date. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm just like, I don't think I'm like super competitive, but I do feel like there are times when I like play sports or play games that I'm like, I get, I get real weird. And I feel like I wouldn't want to show somebody that on the first date. And I feel like you shouldn't sweat. Like you're I like, like, you're like a rage throwing your tennis yes. racket across the court. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I spent all this time doing my makeup and my hair and now I'm sweating and I'm annoyed and... <laughs> And I will destroy you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, I feel like it'd be bad, bad Kim, for sure. Not <laughs> not a good impression. Yeah. Yes. Um, anyway, back to Nostradamus. <laughs> While a lot of people believe he kind of had this direct line to the future, others saw him as just like a con man. And I'll let you decide what you think. But, you know, some people really believe that he did have this, like, otherworldly ability to predict the future. Um, a little bit about his background. He was born in December of 1503. Uh, he was born to a well-to-do grain dealer of Jewish descent, but his great-grandfather had changed their name from Guy Gassoni and converted to Catholicism and made their family name Nostradam to avoid persecution during the Inquisition. So this is a really common thing for Jewish families to obscure their identity in order to avoid the Inquisition. Yeah. Hmm. Records note that he was an intelligent child. He excelled in his studies. He was taught Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and mathematics. And it's believed that his grandfather introduced him to the ancient rites of Jewish tradition and the celestial sciences of astrology, planting the ideas that the celestial heavens kind of drive human destiny. Wow. Hmm. So anyway, when he reaches the ripe old age of 14, mm -hmm. he uh, enters medical school. Oh, great. Which I guess yeah. is just the way they did it back then. I feel like if you die at 30, then, you, I mean, you got to start early, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, you're right. He did die very young. Everybody died very young back then. Right. Yeah, the life expectancy in the, I was about to say the 1950s, in the 1500s <laughs> is not, 
not super high. You got to get your shit together early. You want to go to medical school, you're going at 14 or you're not going. (laughs) Exactly. But after only a year, he leaves due to an outbreak of the bubonic plague. Oh, no. The plague ruining it for everybody. I know. It's just been fucking up universities and (laughs) shutting shit down all the way back to the 1500s. So he had to leave because people were getting sick. And so he takes off and he decides he's going to travel the countryside researching herbal remedies and working as an apothecary. So he's like 15, 16, 17 during this time. And he's just like roaming around, like working his way from place to place. And then in 1522, at the age of 18, he goes back to the university and he completes his doctorate in medicine at 18, (laughs) which is good. (laughs) Right when you want people to have their medical license. Right. And while he was in university at this time, he butted heads with the teachings of the Catholic priests. And he really believed that, like, there was this whole aspect of astrology that they weren't you know, incorporating into their teachings and that they should. So he kind of uh, came up against some opposition there. He received his license to practice medicine in 1525. And at this time, he also Latinized his name. And that was a custom for medieval academics to Latinize their names. So he changed his name from Nostradamus to Nostradamus. Oh, is that how you Latinize something? I guess so. Us on the My grandfather, God rest him, my grandfather... He died at like 102. Like he he was quite old. Oh and wow! His degree is written in Latin. Like his like diploma oh, wow. is written on like lamb skin, and it's written in Latin. And I feel like they Latinized his name. Like his name his name was Reuben, and I feel like they wrote like Rubius or something. Oh like, wow! I'll have to I'll have to see if we can find it. it That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. I guess maybe that kind of like held over. Yeah. Uh, During the next few years, Nostradamus continued to travel through France and Italy, working as a physician and mainly treating victims of the bubonic plague. Most doctors during that time treated patients by doing bloodletting with leeches, making potions with mercury, which was a terrible idea, (laughs) and also wrapping people in garlic-soaked robes was another treatment that they came up with for the bubonic plague. Huh. Of course, none of that worked. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like at least the garlic isn't... Like, I feel like mercury, you're just making more problems. Yeah, it turns people crazy. Yes, yeah. Big problems with mercury. Yeah, but. it was called the Mad Hatter's disease, right? Mercury oh, poisoning? I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think it's. it was called the Mad Hatter's disease, and it, would, um, it had something to do with something with, like, the way people made hats, maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll, I'll, maybe I'll do a story on the Mad Hatter's disease. Yeah, yeah. But, Yeah, it made people, they'd lose their minds. Wow. So if they didn't die from the bubonic plague, they'd lose their minds. The plague doesn't get you. (laughs) The mercury will. Yeah, the mercury will. (laughs) But Nostradamus, seemingly having more advanced knowledge than other doctors, he never bled his patients. And instead, he insisted that they practiced effective hygiene. Oh. And he also argued for the removal of corpses from the streets, and he developed this, uh, what he called a rose pill, and it was this herbal lozenge that was made with rose hips, which are rich in vitamin C. So that's how he treated his patients, and he actually seemed to fare better than the others, and that garnered him quiet a following. He received a lot of financial support from his patients, and in 1531, he was invited to work with a leading scholar named Julius Caesar Scaliger, 
So he moved to southwestern France, and there he married and had two children. But while he was away on his trip, his wife and children fell ill with the bubonic plague, and they all died. Aww. I know, it was really sad. But to add insult to injury, many in the community took that as a sign he wasn't such a great doctor after all, and his patrons withdrew their support, and he basically lost his job as a doctor in that area. I mean, he wasn't even there. Right? Isn't that what you said? Like when yeah, he, was he gone? wasn't even there. Yeah, but maybe he came back and he wasn't able to save them. I mean, you know, I, I don't uh, know. But when they died, the rest of the people were like, oh, you couldn't even save your yeah. your own family. Like, we don't trust you. So, Aww. Poor Nostradamus. Yeah. I know. So he goes to travel again. And in 1538, after making an offhand remark regarding a religious statue, the church inquisition brought him up on hearsay charges. But instead of going to court, he decided to skip town, which was probably a very smart idea. And yeah. he continued to travel throughout Italy and Greece and Turkey. So he leaves France and he like takes off. One legend of this time claims that when Nostradamus happened upon a group of Franciscan monks in Italy, he pointed to one of them and predicted that he would become the next pope. Oh. So that monk was Felice Peretti, and Felice Peretti was ordained as Pope Sixtus. Is that how you say that? I don't think that's how you say that. (laughs) Sure. Sixtus. You're asking the wrong person about Pope <laughs> names, for sure. I didn't look up enough pronunciations for this, that for this right. episode. That sounds right. Pope Sixtus V in 1585. That is not how you say that. I, nah, whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Once he felt he'd been away long enough to avoid the Inquisition, Nostradamus returned to his hometown in France in 1547. He settled down. He married a wealthy widow, and together they had six more children. Hmm. Yeah, so he got busy with that lady. Yeah, yeah. He had stuff to do. <laughs> he had, to, yeah, he had babies to make. Uh, <laughs> and they moved into this big house, and he overtook the whole top floor of this house. And it was there that he set up his observatory, and he started to get really into the occult and astrology and trying to create these like visions of the future. And he moved away from strictly practicing medicine. And it was then that he would spend hours at night meditating into a bowl filled with water and herbs and staring into telescopes. And he would try to bring himself into these like trance-like states where it was said he would receive his premonitions of the future. And other people say that these herbs probably had some psychoactive ingredients. (laughs) And so he's probably just like getting a little high. That helps, I'm sure. Isn't that what Dumbledore does? Wasn't that a thing in yeah. Harry Potter that he stared into the yeah. bowls? And yeah. I think that was past. Wasn't that like memories? It wasn't the future. I think but. it was the past. Yeah. yeah. But he did stare into a bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Nostradamus wrote his first almanac in 1550. Uh, almanacs were really popular at the time. They usually just predicted weather patterns. But Nostradamus decided to put in other predictions, astrological predictions, predictions about major events, both local and globally. And his almanac became really popular, and it took off like wildfire. He became well-known throughout France. And soon, nobility and other prominent persons in French society began asking Nostradamus to predict their horoscopes and give them psychic advice. Ooh. 
One of his greatest admirers was Catherine de' Medici, the wife of King Henry II of France. She summoned him to Paris to draw up horoscopes for herself and her children. And within a few years, he was named counselor and physician to King Henry's court. So he kind of really got in with this royalty. And he prophesied the death of King Henry with the telling of a young lion who would overcome an older one in the field of battle. The young lion would pierce the eye of the older one and the older lion would die a cruel death. This sounds so similar to like Rasputin. Like that he yeah. was like this yeah, fortune yeah. teller and then he got in good with the royals. and Yeah, it's kind it's, of a very similar story. Yeah. So just three years later, even though the queen had begged the king to avoid any kind of battle, to not do any kind of jousting, anything like that. The king was like, "Mm, whatever. And he decided to take part in a jousting match. And during that jousting match, he was pierced through the eye and died 10 days later from an infection. Ah, Very uh, Game of Thrones vibes with the eyes. Yeah. And both the king and his opponent, who was a younger man, were wearing lions on their armor. (sighs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is how the story goes. And, of course, it's, like, from so long ago. Like, we don't really know how that story had been changed over time. Right. So. Yeah. That's okay. It makes for a good story. It does make for a good story. As long as you're telling a good story. That's the rule in my house. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Nostradamus based his predictions on judicial astrology, which is the art of forecasting events by calculation of their planetary and stellar bodies and their relationship to the Earth. Nostradamus' most prolific work, The Centuries, published in 1555 and then again in 1558, were written in a series of quatrains, rhymed four-line verses, and in order to avoid religious persecution, he obscured the writing by using a mixture of other languages such as Greek, Italian, Latin, and Provincial, a dialect of southern France. Wow. Hmm. It's divided into 10 sections called centuries, and there's 100 lines in each section, or 100 verses in each section. And it doesn't, like, people sometimes think that it has to do with, like, the centuries of, you know, the world, like, every 100 years. But it, it's not. It's It has to do with how many... Uh, verses are in each section. Oh, okay. Okay. Most of the quatrains are open to multiple interpretations, and some make no sense whatever. They're kind of rambling, and so you can kind of read whatever you want into them. Right. Skeptics suggest that his reputation as a prophet is largely manufactured by modern-day supporters who fit his words to match events of today. A lot of times what he said, you could really say that they could be applied in lots of different ways. Right, yeah. yeah. So if I sat down and wrote a thousand lines of nonsense, I'm sure in 5,000 years, something would have happened that lined up with that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. They say that like some of his writings, it's just that it's, some things were so imminent that they were they were inevitable, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah, like fitting these prophecies to events that happened today is a process that some call retroactive clairvoyance. You know Mm. what I mean? Like being like, oh yeah, he said this, but it matches this. And it's a little, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So while a lot of the predictions are not so clear cut, other ones were a bit clearer. For instance, the Quantrain uh, people credit to foreseeing the rise of Hitler. He uses the name Hister, which Mm -hmm. a lot of people think was just a typo. 
And it eerily alludes to Hitler's use of propaganda and the world's rejection of fascism. And I'll read to you what Nostradamus wrote. From the depths of West Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realm of the East. Beasts of ferocious hunger will cross the rivers. The greater part of the battlefield will be against Hitler. Into a cage of iron will the great one be drawn when the child of Germany observes nothing. Hmm. Yeah, so, and they say, like, when he says the child of Germany observes nothing, that that's alluding to Hitler's use of propaganda. Oh. Hmm. And when he says the greater part of the battlefield will be against Hitler, that alludes to the fact that the rest of the world outside of Germany really rejected Hitler's fascism because Mm -hmm. they weren't being fed that propaganda for so many years like the German citizens were. Right. Wow. So Hmm. you could see how people could could really think like that that was essentially predicting the rise of Hitler. And Hister, it does sound a lot like Hitler. Right. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, something like, like what you read is very like, it could kind of be anything, like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but that could easily be a typo. And also, he did obscure his predictions in order to not be persecuted. So, like, he used several different languages in each line. So... Hmm. Yeah. But, anyway, the Nazis themselves even used Notre Dame's predictions against the French because they knew that the French would be so terrified by their soothsayer, their famous soothsayer, saying that this calamity was going to happen. So the Nazis loaded up bombers with pamphlets of Nostradamus's prophecies and would drop them over cities and in really populated areas of Paris. And it almost like created like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then mm-hmm. they would also like add lines to the quatrains and, uh, you know, try to clear out the streets and it worked it was one of the reasons why it was one of the reasons why they say that when they went into paris the streets were cleared was because that they dumped all these pamphlets with notre dame's prophecies on wow. the, the french people mm-hmm. so after 9-11 nostradamus's book of the prophecies flew off the shelves and of course people found something that they attributed to 9-11 and The couple lines that they really think spoke of the World Trade Center was, Earth-shaking fire from the center of the earth will cause tremors around the new city. Two great rocks will war for a long time. And so they say that Earth-shaking fire from the center of the earth basically alludes to the use of oil in the jet planes. Oh. I, I don't know. It's a bit of a stretch. But I feel like that's I, I remember the city of new or whatever that I, I remember hearing that like pretty soon after 9-11, like when everybody was talking about this, like Nostradamus thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah. like, I, I mean, I was young, <laughs> right? Like I was like 12 or whenever that happened. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, there's no other city with that's new. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and people also think that he predicted COVID. The lines that they attribute to foreseeing the COVID pandemic are this. In feeble lists, great calamity through America and Lombardy. The fire in the ship, plague in captivity. Mercury and Sagittarius, Saturn warning. So now we can all understand the phrase plague in captivity because we are all dealing with a plague and uh-huh. what feels like captivity. 
Yeah. And we can assume that the feeble list refers to the sick and dying in both America and Italy. Lombardy is a region in the north of Italy, and it mm-hmm. was one of the hardest hit centers of this pandemic when it first started. There were two oh. really, you know, hot spots. America is still a hot spot, but yeah, Lombardy yeah. was definitely a very serious hot spot. Wow. Uh, Mercury entered Sagittarius in December of 2019, which was when the first case of coronavirus occurred. And then Saturn moved into Aquarius on March 21st, right as New York City was going into lockdown. Wow. So, Hmm. you know, you could say that had something to do with it. As for fire in the ship, uh, multiple cruise liners became stranded and obviously had a lot of cases on board. This includes the Grand Princess, which was docked in Oakland in March uh, with 21 confirmed cases on board. Yeah. So. Hmm. I feel like right when, like, something happens like some like world event happens who somebody has like Nostradamus's like book and he like searches yeah like, plague and then sees it exactly comes exactly yeah. I mean and there is it's I mean it's a prolific amount of work there's yeah. so much there and it's also rambling I just feel like you could find anything in it you right. know yeah And then there are also many claims that he borrowed heavily from other historical writings and biblical prophecies and then just pass them off as his own. So there's a very long and detailed section on his Wikipedia page that lists all the material that said he borrowed from. Mm -hmm. And uh, it includes a lot of French names that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce at this point but it seems like he definitely was influenced by other people's work so yeah Yeah, i bet yeah so Hmm. he some of it they say he just basically like copied it word for word yeah anyway nostradamus passed away in july of 1556 from congestive heart failure he allegedly told his secretary the evening before that he would not find him alive at sunrise he was reportedly found dead, lying on the floor next to his bed the next morning. <gasps> his last prediction. So, his last prediction. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. That was my very convoluted telling of Nostradamus's very convoluted prophecies. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I feel like he's he's one of those people that, like, everybody kind of has heard that name before, right? Like. Yeah. 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 Oh. I mean, it's interesting. And there's a lot of writings. So. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, I feel like people could read anything they wanted into them. Yeah. Well, and if you speak in, like, metaphors and, you know, all these yeah. things, too, like, anybody can read anything into, be like, oh, that obviously means this. And it's like, well, maybe he just liked how those words sounded together or, like. Yeah. You, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. But I, I love astrology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, like, yep. all into it. I don't really believe it, like seriously like in my heart of hearts like i don't think astrology is real but it is fun it is real fun yes i think it's like with anything that if you i mean i think you can kind of enjoy those things as long as you don't i mean you can definitely go crazy with them Uh um don't base your whole life on it right yeah but what's your sign kim i'm a leo oh my gosh you are my sister is too that makes so much sense now I'm right on the cusp of uh, Cancer and Leo. Like, my birthday's the 23rd of July. So there's there's sometimes, I'd say maybe 25% of the time when I'm reading one of the things that says I'm Cancer. 
Most of the time it says I'm Leo. But oh, I can definitely see the cancer in you for sure. Really? Oh, I so yeah. like self-identify as a Leo. Like, no, you are a Leo too. Like 100%. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just posted um, on my Instagram this like report card from grade five. And it just talked about how I just talk all the time. Like, yeah, they all say that. Like, yeah, I've always been that <laughs> very, very Leo-esque. Yeah. Do you have you ever done your chart? No, I I had um um okay, can you please send me your date of birth, the time you were born and where you were born and I will send you your chart. Really? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, you have to know what your rising sign is. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to figure it out. I think I know all those things. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to figure it out. Yeah. Oh, we're both fire signs. No wonder we're doing a podcast. Yeah. It fire makes so sign. much sense now. Yep. Oh. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think it's fun. But I also think that if you're like, oh, you're a whatever, we're never going to get along. I don't know what doesn't get along with Leo. But yeah, that that I think might be the problem, too. Like, Yeah, no, don't base your life partner off of like what their sign is. Base right, it off yeah. of their personality and, and character. <laughs> yeah. I think um, Zodiac sign, like that sort of stuff, too, can be very self-fulfilling. Like once you've known somebody for I mean, you've known me for 30 years yeah. yeah and then to be like oh my gosh it all makes sense it's like well <laughs> you're I mean you know me but I feel like that kind of happens. I don't know because Eldar is an Aquarius and he does not believe in astrology at all and he like mm. gets like kind of like miffed when I bring it up he's like oh rolls his eyes but like he is such an Aquarius like he is the embodiment of an Aquarius so yeah hmm. I mean I'm just saying I mean I'm not saying but I'm saying I'm not know? saying but I'm saying but for real <laughs> Yeah, but for real. Yeah. <laughs> but I I mean, I do I do see it sometimes that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely like a Leo thing. But then there's other times that I'm like, well, you have to know your whole chart, too. Yes. OK, I'll send you the info and we'll we'll get you it know, all done. Because you're yeah. more than just a Leo. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So it all has to be sussed out before you can really know who you are, Kim. <laughs> OK, I'm, I'm sending it to you. I, I literally just texted my mom because I'm. I'm pretty sure the time I was born, but I wanted to. <laughs> so we're good to go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, that was such awesome. a cool story. You want to do our rundown? Sure. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. So I went running recently with my sister, and we were in um, St. Louis, essentially, like a town close to St. Louis. And it was this really nice, like the city that she lives in has these really nice trails, and you kind of like, I really like trails that you like can go up and down and under tunnels and whatever. But the funny thing about this run, so we were running and it was it was cold and not just like I'm from Texas and think everything is cold. It was cold. And I kept seeing like snow, like I kept seeing like white patches. And the first one I saw, I was like, oh, there's snow. And my sister was like, no, there's no way there's snow. It's not it's not cold enough for snow. Like and so then I saw it again and I was like that right there. And then my sister was like, oh, yeah, maybe that is snow. And then we like <laughs> kept running and then we like turned around at one point and came back. And then we saw like another spot or whatever. And so it was this really nice run. And then literally we should have taken a picture because every person that we've told is like, there's no way it was snow. Like it couldn't have been snow. And it just I ugh, it drives me crazy. Like I don't. Uh, it was just one of those runs that you're it's going to make me think my whole life about this run. Like, I'm always going to remember this time that I swear we saw snow, but everybody said there couldn't be snow. So it like bummed me out. Yeah, I believe so. you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Like everyone was like, there's no way it wasn't cold enough. It didn't snow. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, then what was it? And they're like, I don't know. Styrofoam. And I'm like, no, it wasn't styrofoam. No. Like, it was snow. It was snow. Yes. I'm telling the world. 
first to press. It was it was snow. It snowed in St. Louis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that and it was a really good run. Other than that, it was really like I said, really nice trails. Yeah. Nice. It was a really cute trail. Yeah. She lives in a a cute little place. Awesome. Okay, so my running story is actually from a little while ago. It's from last summer. Uh, so it's been a while, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to tell it anyway, because I didn't tell it before, and I, I realized that I didn't talk about this. Um, so I lost my business during the pandemic, which was absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. It was very painful, and um, I'm not going to talk about it now because I'll, I'll start crying. But um, mm-hmm. I had I had owned my business for seven years, and I had built it up, and I was really proud of it, and it was really important to me, and it was basically my whole life. And, uh, yeah, and it sucks, but, like, you know, mm-hmm. you can't keep brick-and-mortar commercial spaces open if you can't be open right. to clients. Like, it just it doesn't work, especially in New York City with New York City rents. So right. um, I had to close them down. But, anyway, my, my story isn't about that necessarily, but that's the context of the, of the situation. And I had the most amazing staff that anybody could ever ask for. The people that I worked with were... Uh, just fantastic. I don't know how I got so lucky. You know, it was just, it was a wonderful environment. I I absolutely loved the people that I worked with. They were some of the most amazing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them, when we shut down, she's a wonderful girl. Her name's Abby. She sent me uh, like a little, like, kind of like, I guess, like, feel better gift. <laughs> um, and it was this box of, because she's a runner too, Mm-hmm. And it was this box of like small little like running gifts. And on each thing, she had written out a little like card of things uh, of like saying like, like she gave me some shoelaces and she was like, here are some shoelaces for tying us all together. And like, um, oh, Abby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, Abby. Yeah. You yeah. took her classes a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we go and way just, back. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then she sent me like a, a shirt that's like, uh, you know, here's to keep the sweat off your back for always, you know, telling us not to sweat the small stuff. And just like <laughs> it was all just like really sweet, kind, thoughtful gifts all surrounding running. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, She's a wonderful person, and um, I, I miss all of them so much. But yeah, Aww. so I think she listens to this podcast. I hope she does. Yeah. She might not. I feel, like she's, <laughs> I feel like she's told me that she has. If she does, if you're yeah. listening, Abby, I you are amazing. Yeah. And we love that you. has really, yes, we love you. We, that yeah. stuck with me for a long time. And it was so thoughtful. And, you know, I hope yeah. you're doing well. And yeah, so uh, here's to thoughtful people, kind people who, you know, in your darkest hours, like, are there for you. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's Aww. my that's my running story. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, I like that so much. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, that's it. Uh, check us out online at Peculiar Stories and Fire Tales dot com. Check us out on Instagram. We're at Peculiar Stories and Fire Tales. Anything else? And, uh, the Patreon is patreon.com slash P-S-A-F-O-T. That's right. Make sure to check out our Audible affiliate link. That helps yes. a lot. Yes. Uh, rate, listen, subscribe, and share all the things. We love and you guys. We I do. Guess by this time, you have already made it to 2021. So congratulations. Thank God. It's going to yeah. be better. It's got to be better. It it's, can't be as bad as it's been. Yeah. It's, we're moving. We're getting there. We're get, I keep hoping for the Super Bowl, but I don't think it'll be by the Super Bowl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Get vaccinated. 
Get vaccinated. Yeah. As soon as you have the chance, just just do it. Yep. I promise That's... you. There's no tracker in you and you have an iPhone mm. anyway. So who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> like... I feel like everybody I I mean, I have friends that have already gotten it, don't you? I mean, come on. Like uh, yeah, one healthcare worker I know. Yeah, that, that's it. Yes, yeah, yeah I, I, they're all healthcare workers, as they should be. Yeah, as they should be. Yeah, yes, yeah. But yeah, I will. I will wait in line for ten hours to get that thing. Yes, I, I can stay in my ready. house. Yep, yep. We'll do it. Okay. Awesome. Okay. All right. Bye, all guys. Right, bye, guys.